0: Welcome to Art Conversations and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Today's guest began his career as a graphic designer. Cal Honey was creative and obsessively detail oriented from an early age always drawing, building models, embroidery, and photography. After attending Northern Secondary School's specialized art program in Toronto, Cal went on to become an award-winning graduate of the Ontario College of Art. After a 20-year graphic design career in 2009, Cal and his life partner, Kim Lee Ko, closed up shop to spend a year traveling North America. Cal's work in painting, graphics, and collage is informed by his design sensitivity and training his love of contrast, and his penchant for text, wit, and wordplay. Cal is best known for his subversive signs, which closely resemble official regulatory signage, but instead question authority or support more human agendas. Recent exhibitions include In Situ Multi-Arts Festival in Mississauga, Redhead Gallery, and the Gladstone Hotels Come Up to My Room in Toronto. And during COVID, he exhibited from his front lawn as part of the National Arts Drive. Since March 2020, when not in the studio or peering into a monitor, Cal has often been found in his tiny basement gym or riding to nowhere on his indoor bike trainer. Please help me welcome Cal Honey to the podcast. Welcome, Cal, and thank you so much for joining me today.
1: It's a delight to join you, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today about your recent work. But I thought before we get into that, that we could learn a little bit about your journey from graphic designer to visual artist.
1: Ah, well, yes, I was artistic from an early age, as my bio says. And my parents kind of guided me towards commercial art because they had artistic friends who struggled. They were lovely, but they they struggled to make ends meet. And so my parents thought, well, we should guide them. We have some friends who are commercial artists and they seem to do better. So we'll we'll guide them towards that. So from high school, I went to Northern Secondary High School in Toronto and it had a killer art program. So I went there and I was studying illustration and design from grade 10 through to 12. Gave me a really great footing, moved on to OCA where I studied editorial design. Was hired straight out of school, thankfully, because it was a recession, thank goodness, by one of my instructors, Ken Rodmill, who was the vice president creative of Key Publishers, which was the publisher that published Canadian Business, Toronto Life, among many other titles. Worked there for a few years, met the love of my life, Kim Coe, there. And we then moved into a graphic design career. I did that until 2008, and then moved on to fine art. And that was and has been an interesting transition. It involved teaching as well, because that's sort of how I make ends meet. (laughs) Um, But it's been an interesting journey and a challenge. I really feel like I have a great foundation in visual thinking and conceptual thinking from design, but I still struggle with not having someone hand me a brief to say okay here's what you do (laughs) or here's what we need here's what we need i'm used to people saying here's what we need it's like okay i know you've given me a framework i can be creative within that so Mm -hmm. i have had to sort of teach myself (laughs) imperfectly it's a work in progress to give myself frameworks to to work within yeah so not having a brief or having to make up my own briefs that's been a challenge
0: I can see when I look at your work, your graphic design background coming through. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your signs that you've been working on.
1: Yeah, so signs are probably the work I'm best known for, and I love doing them. So one of the first big shows I did was with my wife, Kim Lee Ko, and Nancy Cuttle, who's a sculptor in Milton. And she invited us to do a show together. And she took us out to Milton and she's lived in Milton a long time. And she walked us around and she said, I used to cut across this field and I used to walk through here and now there are fences here and there are fences there. And so she was really concerned about the fact that there are these fences going up everywhere. And mm-hmm. she thought it was a, an interesting and worrying idea. And then we got talking about the fact that there are all these like big bad walls, like the, the Israeli-Palestine one, the, the U.S.-Mexico one you know, all these attempts to put barriers to restrict people's movement. So Kim and Nancy did work that related to that indirectly, indirectly. And I sort of went off on this tangent that related to it because I thought most walls that are talking about like stay out of this property or stay in here have signs on them to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I thought a sign is basically a wall in the mind because it's usually telling you what you can't do, right? Like, don't do this, don't do that. And I also thought, you know, we ignore signs a lot or we sort of like grudgingly read them and obey them or flaunt them. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think a lot of us just sort of, okay, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'm a good order. Canadian, I'll do that. And I thought, what if they said something rather than being um, sort of, don't do this authoritarian what if it looked exactly like that, but it had a positive message instead, a human message, an enabling rather than a than a limiting message? And so I started playing with that, and that show was the genesis of this idea. And so I've played with that a lot, and I didn't quite enjoy it because when you see a sign, oftentimes we ignore it, right? It's like, oh, it's just an sign, and I can it's an official sign, I'll ignore it. But then if you see it, and then you actually read it, and it doesn't read at all like what you're expecting it's kind of like someone's put smelling salts under your nose it's like woof whoa, wait wait what (laughs) so i love that sort of bait and switch um because it's a great way to sort of wake someone up and to show them that normally you're told you can't do all these things what if we change flip the script so that's basically the construct and then it's what themes do i want to play with and i've addressed um I've just played with like basic human values. So one of my most popular sign is like a bylaw parking sign, like no parking, except it's a green circle with a heart in it. And it says Mm -hmm. kindness, 24 hours, no exceptions. And I kind of love the really unequivocal, hard-ass, no exceptions right underneath the word kindness. That's good. Yeah. The other one that's quite popular is freedom. Oh, I can't even remember what it says underneath it.
0: So you've also taken these signs to the streets at times. I have,
1: yes. Um, freedom rigidly enforced. And it's the same kind of idea of this thing that you don't expect freedom to be what's rigidly enforced. So yes, I have taken them to the streets and that is absolutely their native habitat. Just before COVID in 2020, I had the great good fortune to be invited by curator Lee Petrie at the Gladstone Hotel to take part in Come Up To My Room, which is art and design. And she let me put signs up throughout the hotel, which was amazing. I loved it. And and I got really good positive response from everyone there. It was a great opportunity. So thank you, Lee. What else I did, though, is I thought, I'm going to put a few out on the street. And I've been very leery about putting them out on the street because I'm a good orderly Canadian, right? So it's like, oh, what if the police see me doing this and I get arrested for like putting up unofficial signage. But I had met an artist couple that go by the name Time and Desire. And they do, you know, they do a very different sweat but they do it with signs as well. And I think it was name, his name's Tim. Um, he said, you know what, just look like you know what you're doing and no one will pay you any heat. So I put on an orange jacket that I had, and I put on one of those orange vests, <laughs> the high-vis vests. And I had some work pants and some work boots. <laughs> and I had a ladder. And I just walked up and put them up, and no one paid me any heed, except when I dropped my glove. Someone handed it up the ladder, like, "Here you go." <laughs> Someone asked me about the ladder, like, "Oh, yeah, I really like this ladder. They're great, aren't they?" And, yeah, yeah, they're great. I love them. <laughs> but no one, no one said, "What's that you're putting up?" <laughs> so um, that was a real revelation. I was terrified inside, but elated when I discovered that I could get away with it.
0: Are any of the signs still up?
1: I put up, I think, six signs just along Queen Street and Gladstone at the corner that the Gladstone uh, Hotel is at. I think two or three have been taken down and or stolen. The rest remain. One, I thought, oh, it's been stolen. I thought, no, it looks like all the hardware on the post has been replaced. Like, I think the city came along and fixed all the the stuff on it and just, like, took my sign off at that point. That'd be an
0: interesting uh, conversation back with the city. Did you put this up?
1: (laughs) I, I know it's I know it's strictly speaking not official and not legal, but I also do it reasonably respectfully. I'm not pointing it out at traffic and trying to cause accidents or anything like that. I point them in towards the pedestrian side of the sidewalk. So if you're looking at it from out in the, the car, out in the street, you just see the back of the signs so nothing. You don't even notice it. But having seen that, it's like yes, this is where they belong. Like they they look fine in a gallery. They look fine in a home. I'm happy to have people buy my signs and put them in their home or on their fences or whatever but in the street is where they belong so that's Mm -hmm. I definitely plan to do more installations like that
0: I also noticed that you use text in some of your other work so can we talk a little bit about your collage work which is very different from the sign work that you do they're very meticulous
1: yes you know you can't At least not for me. You can't take the graphic designer out of the artist. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think one of the things that originally drew me to graphic design as a career, apart from my parents sort of guiding me in that direction, was I, I just love the combination of text and image. I love posters. I love magazines. I love, like now I love websites. I love anything, and if they're well-designed, of course. But the interplay of not just something to read, not just something to look at, but both. And so I bring that to my work. It's not to say that I don't write things that don't have (laughs) images, and I don't do images without words, but I love the interplay of the two. So, So my painting includes that, but as you said, my collage does as well. You you mentioned meticulous, and lots of people will point out that I am quite meticulous. And that comes from, like, when I started graphic design, it was pre-computer. I moved on to computers fairly early in my career. But when I trained, it was all about precision and how you did it by hand. (laughs) So there was a lot of that training. And it's just in my DNA. And I think it was already there, like, from an early age. I built models with tiny little parts and painted them meticulously and tried oh, tried to get the letters on the tire on the on the car, model of the car I was doing, painted just perfectly, and et cetera. So there's meticulous as sort of bread in the bone and systematic is bread in the bone, which is very designer centric. That part is great, but it can overpower my work. I will sometimes design random aspects. <laughs> so one of the, the games that I like to play a lot is, um, and, and I, when I say a game, That's how I approach my work a lot of the time. It's like, what's the game that I'm playing? Define the rules and then play the game within it. Like, is it a game like, okay, I can only have three colors or is it, I can only take images from this one magazine or it's going to be, it has to fit in this tall, skinny, vertical space. I like anything that gives me something to push against, some sort of constrictions or restrictions. Some of my restrictions, knowing that I have this predilection to be overly controlling, are randomizing. So, okay, I have designed these few elements and I'm going to put them in three bowls and I'm going to reach into the bowl without knowing what what item it is and pull it out. And, okay, that's the item I have to glue down. Or I'll layer pieces of magazine, one on top of the other, like 15 deep, and then I will cut and tear through to see what I can find. Mm-hmm. And Because I can remember somewhat, oh, yeah, there's a face somewhere in there, but I don't remember whether it's up there or down there. So I might come across it or I might not. So trying to inject, intentionally inject serendipity and chance into my work is Mm -hmm. um, something that I I love to play with.
0: So So as part of that process, do you have like a giant stack of magazines or do you have like files or I mean, (laughs) imagine how you organize all this? (laughs)
1: All of the above, I think, because it depends on the day what game I want to play. So the main organizational principle I have for images is I have a a file, like a plastic vertical file, that has colored drawers. It's translucent colored drawers. And so I've got the colors of the rainbow, basically uh, primary and secondary colors. And I will put scraps of anything that is more or less that color in that drawer so it's so that means i can find things by color now it might be a very different kind of image it might be a flat colored paper or an image with a lot of that color in it or anything but at least it's that color so that's one way of organizing another way is As I said, I'll just say I I do have boxes of books and magazines, too many. (laughs) And I will just like pull out a magazine and say, Okay, this collage has to be done with whatever I can find in this magazine or this book, which gives it sometimes will give it a very that gives it cohesion. Too, because if it's a book that's printed only in two colors and has lots of diagrams, that's going to affect the nature of the collage I do from it. So, yeah. And then I'll also do digital collages where I will search for images and find, you know, do online searches. And okay, I found the kind of image I want. So all of the above, really.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you still do graphic design work for clients?
1: Very few. Yes. Yes, I do. Primarily in our graphic design career, we did magazine design and promotions for magazines. And magazines have suffered greatly uh, due to the onset of the Internet. There are still a few out there and I do still do a little design promotion for some of the magazines that are still standing. But it's a it's a small part of what I do.
0: So, it's a natural medium for you to gravitate towards.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I had a great supply of magazines because every time we worked on a job, we got magazines sent to us so that we could look at them and understand what the publication was about. And mm-hmm. so, yeah.
0: So, recently you've been doing a project. It's more of a personal project for a friend you had mentioned. Can you talk about that?
1: yes this is a a real gem of a project and i'm so uh, delighted and honored to be doing it so the editor of a magazine that i used to design back in my very early graphic design career sadly his his wife who we knew passed away at the beginning of COVID, not from COVID, but you know just at the very outset and frank is the editor and our friend his wife passed and he got in touch and he he said you know i want to do a book as a sort of memorial for her. She used to write poetry when she was young, and I'd love to publish that, and I want you to design it. And I said, I'm honored to do that. And I said, can I illustrate it as well with collage? And so he said, yes. And so that's what I've been working on. It's taking forever, poor Frank. I'm sorry, Frank. (laughs) I've been going at it for more than a year in between teaching and other projects, but it you know again, it has restrictions. so I love that. it's it's going to be the book is only going to have color on the cover. so the mm-hmm. illustrations are black and white. I have a starting point because I can read the the poem and find imagery and ideas and that spark give me a starting point to respond to. And I'm just delighted to be able to do it. So I've been really enjoying that.
0: Was the imagery all just cut and paste like traditional collage?
1: It, it spans the range between um, some of the my collages are pure cut and paste. Some of them are cut and paste, but then scanned in to add some digital effects, either digital collage or effects. And then sometimes some of them are straight digital collage. And my definition of collage is anything where you're bringing disparate images together. So that can be digital in Photoshop or whatever, or cut and paste. And so it it spans the range.
0: It must be interesting to work with poetry and then turn that into a visual. I guess that's a different way of approaching your collage work.
1: I love it. I love it because it gives me the brief we were talking about earlier, right? It's not just like you're starting with the, the blank page. You're Starting with the blank page, but you've got something to read to get your thoughts going and think, okay, well, that's what's expected, but what if I what can I do that's unexpected that still relates to this? And poetry is it's not prose, right? There's the reading between the lines as well. Now, there's plenty of images where I I'm like, yeah, okay, she mentions roses, so roses are going to come into it, but is it rose with an edge? So should it be like a jagged rose, or is it rose that you know, etc.? There are all these interesting nuances to play with.
0: Mm-hmm. And how many collages do you think you'll have by the end of?
1: I'm trying to do one collage for every four or five poems, and I think there are over a hundred. so they're going to be at least twenty five illustrations. And then there are also section openers. They're divided in eight or ten sections. So I'll have an opening page spread, in other words, two pages beside mm-hmm. each other with a visual for that section.
0: Yeah, I know you've seen your work, obviously, in print, having worked in the graphic design industry. But it'll be incredible to see the book put together. I'm sure.
1: I'm loving this project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it came at the right time.
1: It did. It did.
0: I know you've also been working on another big project because this one's very exciting. <laughs>
1: oh, it's it, it is very exciting. Yeah, and Blessley Petrie, curator at the Gladstone Hotel, which has now been rebranded Gladstone House. She came back to me and approached me about doing, she said, I'm I'm kind of thinking that we'd like to put a neon installation in in a basement hall that uh, is at the end of a short hall where you go to the washroom. And so everyone going to the washroom will see that end of the hall. And I was thinking maybe one of your signs or something else that we could render in neon So. I said, well, why don't I give you a few different designs and then you can choose and we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. So I did mock up some one or two of my signs as well, but I gave her some other options. One of which was based on a a photograph of the hotel from the corner. So with dramatic perspective uh, heading off to either side. And it had a, like the lighting on the front of the hotel was very strong. And then the one side was in deep shadow. So I thought, I'm going to make it like hot and cool colors. And it's very ornate because it's a, a building from before 1900. I forget the exact date. So it's very ornate. So sort of stripping it back to be in neon language and still come across as that ornate hotel tell without having hopeless amounts of complication was kind of a fun and interesting challenge. And that was the one that they chose. So I prepared the file and sent it off to uh, a company in Toronto called Fuse Neon, which we had uh, arranged to execute it. And a couple of weeks ago, I got to go down. They finished the fabrication. They took it to Gladstone House and I got to plug it in for the first time in situ. (laughs) And it was so exciting to just see it lit up and we turned out the lights in the hall so that was the only thing that was causing light and it's just electric and it's beautiful and i've done lots of work with what artists call reflective art which is where the light coming off of it is bouncing off of it reflecting off of it so anything that's printed or a painting but something that actually emits light is mm-hmm. is something i haven't done before so that's that was amazing
0: is this the first time you've worked with like a fabricator and yes what was that I, like- I,
1: It was interesting yeah I mean as a designer you prepare a file and then you hand it off to the printer and they print it and fold it and cut it and do all of that stuff so in one sense I've I've worked with fabricators more than most than a lot of artists but not to have something like this fabricated so no it's interesting because they had certain restrictions that oh the tubes can only bend so much and they can't be any shorter than this particular length so I gave them a file and then we had to talk about like okay this is going to have to be longer, this is going to have to be shorter, this can't be as close as this. So we went back and forth to resolve some of those things. But that was quite interesting. And
0: So when can people see this? Because I know I'm super excited to go down and see it.
1: So Gladstone House, they've taken the opportunity to do renovations. They were bought last year sometime, and the new owner has been renovating the building, which it sorely needed. So they've taken the opportunity during COVID to do these renovations. So I think they are aiming to be up and running in September. But I think they haven't actually said what the date is yet. Of course, go see my neon (laughs) installation. (laughs) But the whole hotel has been done and it's redone and it is jaw dropping. Like it's artistic, it's interesting. There are fantastic juxtapositions like, oh, this very sleek door within the old ornate trim around it and art everywhere, it's amazing.
0: So I'm gonna ask you a question that I know most artists are like, oh no, don't ask, but what do you think is your next project, or where do you hope to go next?
1: Mm. Well, first of all, <laughs> and Frank, if you're listening, you're first on the bill. I, I really do need to finish that poetry book. So that is my my number one concern is to get that done so that it can get off to the publisher and printed, etc. Beyond that. I'm really itching to make some more signs. I've sort of been away from them for the better part of a year, and I have some more ideas. I want to do guerrilla installations and then photograph them and post them.
0: That sounds fun. That's a good idea. So I always like to ask my guests as we wrap up what (laughs) books they would recommend.
1: Right. Sadly, I don't read nearly as much as I should. (laughs) (laughs) I have read maybe a handful of books over the last several years. And so any book that is small and short and Mm -hmm. potent (laughs) is right up my alley. And so a a troika of three that I can heartily recommend are Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work. And I forget what the one other book is um, by Austin Kleon. And they're just chock-a-block with great professional advice about just making work, sharing it with people, Getting out of your own way, which is something I struggle with. I'm always second guessing. I'm always nervous about it. And really just making work, putting it out there is what I need to do, what all artists need to do. The the books are a visual delight. They're black and white. They're small. And every word is precious in them. They're just Mm -hmm. great. I recommend them to all artists I
0: know and feel like an artist is a great little book
1: (laughs) it is it is
0: all right well thank you so much This has been a pleasure and for everybody i hope that they can get down to see your installation at the gladstone soon
1: oh me too and thank you so much for having me lisa it's been a delight chatting with you
0: thank you for tuning in to art conversations with lisa jane irvine if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe and hit the like button And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.